Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, your host of Nonprofit on the Rocks, coming to you live from Positano, Italy. And with us, as always, is Ashley Watterson, who is bored in LA. Is that fair? <laughs> For sure, by comparison. And Matt, by the way, if there was any debate, any dispute at all as to which one of us leads the more enviable life, I just saw the view from your room, so F you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I am, as we speak, in Positano, in Italy. And I got to tell you, it is hot as balls, Ashley. And I got to be honest with you, my nephews keep talking about the sweaty balls that we all have. <laughs> There's a little schadenfreude in me that takes like some pleasure in the fact that it's not all quite as perfect as it looks on your Instagram post. But like, at least you're having to endure some sort of suffering. I have to tell you, I did not know that Italy or at least the Amalfi Coast is just full of steps. It's so many steps. Actually, it's so many steps all day. <laughs> steps up, steps down, it's hot. I mean, I'm not complaining. I've had a lot of limoncello. I've had a lot of pasta. I've had a lot of wine. Well, and gonna... you're burning off said pasta because we know your body is really not used to processing carbs. So if you think about it, you probably need those steps just to kind of keep your girlish figure. It is true. I do need to keep this girlish figure. And <laughs> by the way, a lot of us are talking about the airlines and how everything is breaking down. My luggage has been officially lost. And as a result, all of my clothes here are new. I've been on a phenomenal shopping spree. Yeah, that's what I told you when you posted about your luggage being lost, which again, I'm not going to lie, I didn't put a pin in your voodoo doll. I actually just made the luggage disappear from it. So that may be on me. But then I didn't realize that, of course, the flip side is an excellent shopping spree. So again, I tried to make your life less enviable. And now you just have new, enviable, awesome clothes. Because let's face it, you're also an excellent dresser. Thank you. I don't know what it is you're trying to get out of me, but thank you, Ashley. So I don't understand like all the steps. They don't have like funiculars. That's just an American thing because we're all just like overweight and always looking for the easy way out. Whereas the Italians, like they walk. So Positano does not have a funicular. Capri, by the way, is an island. I didn't know it was an island, but the Isle of Capri has a funicular. You knew it was called the Isle of Capri. You just didn't realize that Isle translates to island. I, I've learned some things on this trip. Well, I have a question. So you're not knowing that Isle of Capri was an island. Is that better or worse than me not knowing that they speak Portuguese in Brazil? <laughs> <laughs> we might have to throw that one out to the listeners have them weigh in on which one of us wins the dunce cap on on uh, that i still can't believe you thought there was a language called brazilian you did actually <laughs> you thought there was a language called well i knew brazilian. there was a wax called brazilian barbecue why wouldn't there be a language oh uh, we're so so stupid both of us so anyway i am i'm very much enjoying this trip but as the professional that i am i have decided to do this show and make sure that we air it before i get back and so that's why i really wanted to talk to you and talk about my friend bobby abram who is the president of the pasadena city college foundation this is a great episode because I did not know that Bobby like truly disliked me when we first met. And I think that that's really important for people to hear that Bobby Abram, this guest coming up on this podcast, truly disliked me when we met. And now she's on my show. I think my favorite piece of advice from Bobby on the show, and she gives many, many wonderful tidbits, but was when she said that after getting to know you, she believes that second impressions are in fact sometimes better and more truthful than first impressions. <laughs> so on that note, let's all remember that second impressions matter. And Ashley, is there anything else you want to leave with our listener before they hear Bobby talking a ton of shit about me? I will just tell you that I do have your voodoo doll over here and I'm stuffing it with some extra weight that I'm hoping that the pasta puts on you. Just so you know. 
<laughs> Thank you, Ashley. Because <laughs> let's be honest, pin cushion, what is that? You do Botox all the time. Pin cushion isn't going to bother you, but filling the extra stuffing, that's going to get you. I'm hitting you where it hurts. <laughs> Enjoy this episode with Bobby. Hello, my friend, Bobby Abram. How are you tonight? I'm well. How are you? I gotta tell you, it has been a very long Monday and I am dying for a drink because I hate everybody today. So uh, what are you drinking tonight, my friend? Well, I made my famous Moscow Mule, but since it's a, a local show, I will say this is the Pasadena Pony for the night. I'm actually known for these and it's all in the kind of ginger beer that you use. It's not the vodka necessarily. It's what kind of ginger beer you use that really improves the taste. So first of all, Bobby, why have I never had one? Ooh, we need to correct that. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And what kind, just because everybody's on the edge of their seats, what kind of ginger beer do you use? I use fever tree. That is my favorite. And it seems to carry the, the lightness that I like add a lime to it, some lime juice, you know, your favorite vodka, put it in a copper cap so it stays really, really cold. And I can nurse two or three of these. And yeah, they'll Cheers. sleep soundly. Right. Cheers to you. Happy Monday. Cheers to you. What are you drinking, my friend? I am just drinking bourbon. It is really like I drink bourbon on these shows. I gotta, I gotta step it up a notch, but I don't know what's next. So one of these days I'll I'll move into something else, but I will tell you, Bobby, that your friend, Ashley, who is the producer on the show, uh, she's turning into a brown liquor fan. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but she's she's turning into a brown liquor fan. That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and she's also smoking cigars, so... Well, I have to tell you, I, I don't smoke them anymore, but I have a really nice childhood story about smoking cigars on the back steps of my house and with my younger brother. And I was just recounting this story the other day with my mother. My mother comes home to find us. You know, I've got to be, let's see, I'm probably 13. So that would make him eight. And I thought, oh boy, we're in trouble now. And my mother walks right past us to get to the front door. And she says, Bobby, I don't mind if you smoke, but don't corrupt your brother. And she just walked on into the house. (laughs) And it was like, I'm 13 with a cigar in my hand. And I'm thinking, I did not get in trouble for this. Seriously. (laughs) 13 years old, smoking a cigar and corrupting your eight-year-old brother. How did you even get a cigar? Why did you even like a cigar? Well, I, I also have a younger brother, a brother that was born 10 years younger than me. And years ago, you know, they would hand out cigars, you know, when you had a baby. And so I discovered searching through my dad's, what I call jewelry box, his valet on his chest of drawers, that he had a stack of these, it's a boy, it's a girl cigars, you know, sort of left over. And I just decided, you know, something need to be done with this stack of cigars. So I got one for me, one for my brother found some matches. We've been down on the bat steps. I love that story. First of all, the fact that they even handed out cigars. You know, there's a picture of my aunt as she just had given birth to my cousin, right? Just given birth, smoking a cigarette with a beehive at the hospital, like in the hospital. Like in the Oh, yes. Oh, Oh, yes. If only we could go back. Let's just go back to those times. I don't need need cell phones anymore. I don't need Zoom. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times I got in the back of my dad's truck with the tailgate down and he would, we would drive around. I'd be on the very end of the tailgate with my, my feet dangling off. And, you know, if he turned a sharp corner, we almost fell out. We thought that was fun. I don't understand how any of us are still alive. Yeah, but... how did we survive? Oh, I do believe that this truly is like a happy hour, even though it's a Zoom podcast. And today was a tough one. So I am so happy. I like you so much. I haven't seen you in like pre-COVID and you make me so happy. So thank you for making my day better. So I'm going to tell everybody just a little story about you. So my business partner and I at Envision were interim at an organization called the Convalescent and Aid Society mm-hmm. on our board. And then uh, I think you were like our second client or third client at the time. This is a while ago. And 
we interviewed to do the search to replace us. And I got to tell you, Bobby, because we weren't hired yet. You didn't hire us to do the search yet. We were just interim. And you were like, you were hard. Your questions to us were hard. I really thought you hated me. I was like, she does not like me. She doesn't want us to do the work. But you ended up hiring us. And I got to tell you, Mark may be one of our like top two placements in the history of Envision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember meeting you in the interview. Yeah, I think you and I had an exchange. And I remember saying something later. And, you know, we've never talked about this. I remember saying something later, like, he tried to take me down. He tried to take me down. And I remember one of the other board members said, perhaps he had an overabundance of chutzpah. (laughs) And I just started laughing. And I thought, I love that saying. I'm going to use it. So you had an overabundance of chutzpah that day. And you and I, I think we met our match when we met. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, you're right. We never had this conversation. So I am, I need Ashley to title this show an overabundance of chutzpah. That's amazing. And yes, you know why? I I remember exactly what it was, Bob, because we had like all this list of like referrals and you were like, you were going down the list and you were looking at the list and you were like, oh, really? Who do you know from here, right? You had me and I was like, oh, I know who I had from there. And I think it was my friend, Scott. I just remember that. So you make me so happy because you helped us interview better so thank Mm -hmm. you we grilled you at least i did you know it's matt filet (laughs) oh my god an overabundance of chutzpah i love (laughs) whoever it was on the board i'm so happy i'm using that okay Mm -hmm. and then you became the chair of the convalescent aid society correct i did I, i gotta tell you any nonprofit is lucky to have you because yes you and I may have gone head to head, but that's what makes the best board chair. And you are truly badass. I mean, let's tell everybody what you do. You oh. are right now the executive director of the foundation at the Pasadena City College. So do that's you mind folks what that means? I'm chief executive officer. And I started at PCC about 10 years ago, about the time that you and I met. And I had moved here from Kansas City. I had worked at Johnson County Community College as well as Metropolitan Community Colleges, on one on the Kansas, one on the Missouri side. And I moved here and I had the experience of what we call an auxiliary organization. We're an we're a associated foundation. So our foundation has one goal, and that is to support Pasadena City College and its students. And so I I love education. It's the thing that changed my life. And I love the community college mission where we make ourselves accessible and affordable to anyone. A lot of the UC say we take the top 10% of the class or the, the Cal State say we take the top 30%. I'm quoting a friend on the board who says, community colleges take the top 100%. So we have to make ourselves egalitarian And in doing that, the foundation has such a goal of just making sure that every student that gets accepted and wants to pursue their education can actually afford it. And if they don't get the financial aid for it and they still have a balance on their account, that's where we come in. And we make sure that as many students as possible can continue their education without the worry of of finances going dry on them. So... I mean, you're the person that I want to see if I can't afford my education because you can help me not have a loan, basically. Yes, yes. So you moved here, though, from Kansas City. And why? Why Pasadena out of all the cities in the country? Well, it was a little bit of a happenstance. I was hitting the reset button on my life. My, My children had grown and had the audacity to move out of the house and go to college, get married. And in 2007, my husband passed away. So here I am. I'm, I'm one of those young widows whose home is empty. You know, I was thinking I was going to fill the house with grandchildren at some point. And yet here I am in my 40s going, what am I doing here in this big house? And, you know, I began to realize I could live anywhere in the country that I wanted to. There was a freedom that came with all of the rotten things that were happening to me. And I was on the phone with my brother one day who lived in Oceanside and had recently transferred to Torrance. He's a a pastor of a church there. And he just said, Bobby, why don't you just move out here? 
And I said, Michael, you cannot just pack up 30 years of your life and go to Southern California if you don't have a job or a house or something. And he said, well, I just got transferred. My house in Oceanside is sitting there empty. Why don't you just move in there? And I thought to myself, did I just hear my brother say I could move into a house three miles from the ocean? I said, okay. So I had an exit strategy. I was going to come here for six months and see if I could make California my home. And if not, I was going to move back and re-enter my life. And in the sixth month, Pasadena City College offered me this job. So I made it home. You never left. Never left. It's so, home now. So Ashley, the producer of the show, is also from Kansas City. And we had a long conversation and she did not know the answer. So here's the question. Why is Kansas City the city on the border of two states? Like, why couldn't they have just picked one state and put it in one state? Why has it got to be in two states? Interestingly, the, the city is not the same city split in half. It's two separate cities. We're just not very creative with the names of cities. Kansas City, Missouri is Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Kansas is Kansas City, Kansas. They are not the same city with a state line. They are two separate cities. Well, I got to tell you something. Ashley did not know that answer. So (laughs) she was absent that day in class. And my follow-up question that I remembered and I was a terrible interviewer, is the brother who forced, who moved you out here, is that brother the one that you corrupted with the cigar? It is the one that I corrupted. And I will just tell you that he chews tobacco to this day, but I never did that. He did not return the favor and corrupt me back with tobacco. No, I, I gave up my cigar smoking years ago when I was about 14. <laughs> Pastor of a church smoked a cigar at eight. I want everybody to know mm-hmm. that. So that's of amazing. course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right. And then one last Ashley story that I appreciate because she wanted me to ask you this. Okay. Her great aunt was actually your philanthropy mentor in Kansas City. Is that actually a true statement or is, is Ashley just telling me how? That is a true statement. And it was very interesting how we put that all together. As you mentioned, I was on the board of Convalescent Aid Society. And I think it was your organization that helped us with a an executive search and we were interviewing a guy named Mark Watterson of course I'm the newest person in the room because I had just moved here from Kansas City and we were going around the room sort of introducing ourselves and I I even said probably that exact same thing is that I'm I'm the newest one I'm from Kansas City and he said oh have you heard of Powell Gardens I said well yes of course I have. And he said, my wife's family is the Powell family. And I said, Marjorie Powell Allen was my mentor. And he said, that's my wife's great aunt. And it was at that moment, it was like, wow, my world had come full circle. And yes, Marjorie Powell Allen was a mentor of mine. I'm very proud to say that. And for those who know Kansas City, they know that she is part of the fabric of that community and made the nonprofit world community in Kansas City as strong as it is today. So Ashley's family is huge in nonprofit, which is why I think Ashley cares about this show so much. But I will tell you something, uh, Wendy, right? That's that's Ashley's mom, Wendy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Wendy is our like one of two listeners to this show. So we- <laughs> And so, hello, Wendy. Thank you for being one of two listeners. So I didn't know that her family like named a garden. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's right outside of Kansas City and still going strong today. It's beautiful. I really wish that you and I had chatted a while ago because I went to Kansas City last month and I, <laughs> my friend and I went to go look for the border. Like we literally went to look <laughs> for the border. between. You don't have to go far. There's a road called State Line. And that's it. <laughs> well, I didn't know. So we like took it. We took, we got into an Uber. We were like, take us to the border. And like the Uber driver was like, okay. And then like dropped us off in the middle of nowhere. It was like, I think it was, it was right under the freeway. And I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I blame, Wendy, I blame your daughter, Ashley and Bobby. Next time you have to take, you have to take me to Kansas city. Cause it's a cool place. I would love to introduce you to my Kansas city. Yes. 
the cigar smoking, sitting in the back truck, Kansas City, I'm in. Which yeah. side were you on, Kansas or Missouri? I lived on both sides. I will tell you though, I found a really good bottle of bourbon in Kansas City, like a local bottle of bourbon. I am not surprised. And I can tell you they have good cigars there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next time, next time you're gonna take me. So, sounds good. So I, there's a few things, actually, there's like so many stories about you that I wanna talk about, but so I, I do wanna be serious for one second. So you talked about philanthropy and how Ashley's great aunt really and uh -huh. stuff that in you and 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 also Ashley and so you're at a at a very large school in Southern California how do we in the nonprofit industry how do we instill that love of nonprofit into students and to the next generation how do we do that well I think it's by serving them the way that we do it at, at PCC is that we give them a scholarship we see their need we meet their need and one of the things that we make a requirement is we teach them how to be grateful. And so we make a requirement to thank this donor now. You write a personal letter. And some of them are very, you know, one or two lines. They don't know what to say, but it's a good exercise anyway. And some are amazing. We've gotten pieces of artwork back that they say, please pass this on to the person who made sure that I could you know, have this scholarship. So I think we serve them first and they begin to understand because I didn't know what a nonprofit was when I graduated high school. I decided I wanted to go into journalism and it took a while for me to back myself into finding out that this was actually a profession. And some people call it development. Some people call it advancement, fundraising, nonprofit management. So I finished my bachelor's degree and then got my master's in public administration from the Block School of Business in Kansas City at UMKC with an emphasis in nonprofit management and knew immediately that this is what I was built for. So, and have loved it ever since. So do you think that we should maybe start having classes in nonprofit that we should have kids go volunteer? How do we show the next generation? How do we prove to them that we're so vital? You know, like, what do we do to get them excited like you were? I'm trying to think, when did I get excited about it? I think it was my very first job. I had, it was a combination of two things that I had done. I had worked for a, a marketing firm for a very short period of time, had finished up my degree and had also worked for UMKC Law School for a while. And the combination of the marketing and the law is really what fundraising is. You know, you have to know charitable law, but yet it's marketing. And so the combination of the two is what really opened my eyes to the profession and introduced me to it. And I actually took the LSAT. I was planning on going to law school and thought, hmm, I don't know, this is not as fun. And when I did this stint at a marketing firm, I thought, okay, now this is fun. This, I really had a good time doing. And so I thought between my skills and just that personality of wanting to just really enjoy what I'm doing, this is where I landed. But it's not something that people think of right away. And I think we need more information about it um, the more students can find out about it, I think we're going to find that they fall in love with it. We talk a lot about follow your passion. This is exactly what this industry is all about, is find your passion and then use your energy to raise money and support it. I got to be honest, like this next generation is killing me. Like they're killing me, Bobby. What are they? I don't even know what they are. They're not Gen Z. What are they? What's the next generation? You know, I lost count at millennials. <laughs> And then after that, it was, they started the single letters, the X's and the Y's and the Z's and things like that. How do you do it? How do you do it? Well, I will tell you this. First of all, I will use it as college age students right now. They don't know what they don't know. You know, they've been raised on the internet, so to speak. And even the last couple of years with COVID, they had to stay home. They have missed out on so many opportunities to understand socialization that employers now are calling it the re great resignation. People want to stay home 
I don't know how people date anymore because they really aren't social ever until you try to go on a date. And I just don't know how that's going. I would love to have that conversation with a couple of maybe 20 year olds and find out how are you really connecting? And is it a long-term connection? And are you very successful at it? And what, what can the world do to help you get better at that? Because I sit on hiring committees periodically. And when you interview people, even over Zoom, but we eventually interview them in person, it's just harder for people to get it together. One of the biggest things I say to people who ask me for recommendations on how to best interview, I say, answer the question. Because most of the time, people get caught in their own conversation, they get nervous, revert back to the question and just answer the question because that's what they're looking for. And they've already decided what they're looking for. And if you can answer that question and show that you're that, they don't care about the extraneous stuff. Just answer the question. I think that when you're doing an interview, you've made up your mind the minute you met them and you're just trying to spend the next hour validating yourself. So I agree with you. When people don't answer the question, we know when you're bullshitting us. Like we know. Just mm-hmm. That's really interesting because I don't work well remote. Like we're in our office. I need to see people. Like I'm a social person. I need to hang out. And I uh-huh. know that's not happening anymore, right? People want to be at home. Like that. <laughs> but you're at a school, kids have to go to school. So how are they not able to date if they're seeing each other? You're back in school, right? You're not, you're not online. Yes, we're back. We're back. Mm -hmm. How are kids together? Well, I will tell you, even for the summer, PCC had 48% of their classes online, 41% in person. So we're still not really, really, really back. We've got so many people choosing online that it's, it's still we got all ways to go still. So when you were in college, right? And this had been an offering. I know, I mean, when I was in college, none of this even, like there was no email, but let's just say when you were in college, all this existed, Zoom existed, technology existed. Do you think you would have done this online shit from home or do you think you would have wanted to have gone to class? I don't even like talking on the phone. So no, I, no. You know, I was, when I was younger, I was a super cigar smoking extrovert, you know, and as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit more, you know, sort of settled introverted, but still I can extrovert the best of them. And so I needed that feedback and that connection. And I will tell you, you pick up things in person that you do not pick up on zoom. And so there, there is a real connectedness that we are missing. I agree. I feel like they're, they're missing out. There mm-hmm. is something you get from being in the office. Yeah. You know, where we talk about connectedness, they talk about communication. They're much faster and much more connected than we were, but their level of quality communication, our generation, it's just a different level of communication. And I, I will tell you this though, I think as they get older, and as the internet and the, the connectedness online gets faster and faster and faster, even this generation right now is going to be considered a dinosaur at some point. And they will lean more into that level of communication I'm talking about. And it will come naturally, but they're gonna be much older than we were when we got it. And what I'm finding too is that people are marrying later if they're marrying at all they're having children later if they're having children at all so you know let's pray that they don't smoke cigars and they stay healthy and they live a long life and they enjoy the fullness that we have they're interesting okay so you're at Pasadena City College and you just got a humongous grant a 30 million dollar grant that's huge so everybody hears about jeff bezos everybody hears about his ex-wife mackenzie scott she's giving out a ton of money around the country just phenomenal i'm so so impressed by her for doing that Um, so tell us about that call when they were like hey you're getting 30 million dollars that must have been amazing well i was actually in kansas city 
I had taken a vacation. I was sitting with a friend of mine at a restaurant called Snooze in Westport. And I get a call from my boss and I thought, okay, she knows I'm on vacation. California gets set on fire periodically. So I thought, what is going on? So, hello, yes, everything okay? And she said, are you sitting down? And I said, yes. And then there was total silence. And I said, are you okay? And she goes, yes. I just got a phone call. An anonymous donor wants to give us $30 million. And I said, holy F. And I said, well, can you tell me something about it? Are they an alum? You know, I wanted to know, did my efforts make this happen? Am I that good? No, not at all. Uh, She said, okay, totally confidential. There's rules around who can know and um, you're in the need to know. So she told me it was Mackenzie Scott. And so I started looking into what kinds of places she gives to, why she gives. And I will tell you how she gives is really setting philanthropy on its heels because she is doing her research. She obviously has a company that works with her. They look up your organization and you need to be able to be found. So do all the things that GuideStar and Charity Navigator tell you to do, you know, complete your 990s, get them out there for the public to see, Uh, be good at your job so that there are other things and other organizations who recognize your work In our case, PCC had been named as one of the top 10 community colleges in the country by the Aspen Institute. And I noticed when I looked at some of the other organizations that she had given to, they were also Aspen top 10 institutions. Uh, Do your work in diversity, equity, and inclusion because the conversation included, we like what you're doing here in this area. So she's looking for people who are really moving the needle who are doing it in a progressive way. And the, the most amazing thing that she's doing is she's making her gifts unrestricted. And when it comes to her continued involvement in your organization, she wanted a three-page report for three years, and that's it. So she is doing it in a way that immediately shows trust in the leadership of the organization. And so in order for her to trust, she's doing her homework and they are really looking at organizations deeply. They will not tell you they're doing it. You won't find out until you get that phone call. And then of course, the first thing I did is I thought, this is a prank, you know, really? And then I looked up all these and there are people out there pranking people defrauding, I will say, people into thinking, you know, they're going to get this gift. So send us all your data. They know the data. They're not going to ask you for a bunch of data. They already know it. They have it. They judged you by it already. And they determined that you were a worthy organization. So, and I will tell you, because she put so much trust in you from the very beginning, you immediately want to do an amazing job with this and do it right. Because You don't want to breach that trust at all. And it was an exciting thing for us to share with our foundation board, with our board of trustees at the college. In fact, we were held into secrecy for four months, or if the donor wanted to announce this prior to that, then once the donor announced it, you could follow it up. Well, June 15th of 2020, is that right? We were having our annual meeting of the foundation board. She decided at 7.30 that morning to post it on Medium. And so we were able to announce it to our board. And it was quite phenomenal. I think it was 2021, now that I think about it. Yeah, it was 2021. Congratulations. That is a huge, huge, huge deal. I mean, because she does her research. She doesn't just give to anybody. So congratulations. Okay, so a few questions. Why, first of all, does she make you wait four months? I mean, you just, you're getting this huge amount of money. How, why make you wait? Oh, I think it's because when we were given a gift, when she announced it, 
the article was 286 voices the world needs to hear. Well, she, we, you know, she has to contact 286 organizations. So they need that period of time to process it all. They were ready to hand us the money the minute we answered the phone. It was sort of like, do you want it all at once or would you like it broken up in pieces? And one of the things I thought was very interesting, she was concerned that this would not hurt our fundraising. And so we were able to say, we just finished a campaign where we had a $10 million goal, we raised 16, we're going into another campaign. No, this, this will not hurt us. Although periodically you do get a question that says, so why are you doing another campaign when you got this? And so we're able to explain, well, that was for unrestricted purposes. And the president of the college had the ability to decide how that was going to be handled. And the way our president decided to use it was to invest it as if it were an endowment, use only a payout rate that we currently have. And we're giving away about $1 million a year. And we hope that our investments make that money, but that will be a core that will continue to raise its own realized gains that we can continue to give to the PCC community each year. That's amazing. How much money is she giving away altogether? Do you know what the, do you know what it is like altogether? Ooh, I haven't kept up because uh, this past, past couple of months, she gave out another amount. And that actually went to more national organizations like the National Boys and Girls Clubs and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's well over $100 billion. Well, well over $100 billion at this point. So if you could give out a billion dollars, what would be some of the causes that you'd give to? Oh, wow. Honestly, I have to start with community college foundations because they really are helping one of the most diverse populations in the country. They're making sure that the poverty cycle is broken. They are changing not just families, but generations of families because of the things that they are able to help students with. So I would start there. After that, I'd go right to healthcare. Healthcare costs in this country are just so enormous. And to be able to afford the kind of healthcare that's available out there is really expensive. And then I think I would go to research. There's a lot of places that really we have to lean into discovery if we're going to keep growing. And so I, I'd love to be on the cutting edge of discovery. I like that. I think I'd, I'd really want to give to some kind of hunger programs, but uh, that's just because I was in the homeless world. You know, I do have a serious question. So two things. The first is that the cost of education is nuts. I mean, when I went to UCLA, I think it was like $1,200 a quarter. So $4,000 a year was nothing. And mm -hmm. now it's ridiculous. I think at UCLA, it's like $30,000 a year or something. So mm -hmm. how can people afford college? I mean, it's crazy. Like, what do we do? Well, what we're finding is that people aren't able to afford college. That's why organizations like mine are so important that we have to make it possible. I will tell you, even if you want to go to UCLA or USC, uh, start at your community college, you'll save $50,000 for two years. You'll be, for what you save, you'll be able to pay for your next two years. And UCLA takes the top 10%. So let's say you're not in the top 10% of your class. You go to PCC for two years, you get in our honors program, when you graduate from PCC, from the honors program, 70% of those students in the honors program go on to their four-year college of choice. So your chances of getting in to the college of choice and save money are actually better if you spend your first couple of years at a community college and then move on to it. I just heard today about somebody who, successful man in the community, their family just didn't have the money. He went two years went to USC the final two years. Interestingly, all he, all people know about him is he went to USC. Until you're sitting in a PCC Foundation boardroom, you don't even know he went to PCC because sometimes we're a very quiet cog in the wheel and, and people you know, have their loyalties to 
where their football team is or where their basketball team is. I'm a Jayhawks fan, big time. So I completely understand that. Do you think that we need a degree to be able to do our jobs? I think we need training to be able to do our jobs. Sometimes that's a degree, sometimes it's not. And I think what you need to do is one, know what you want. We have what we call wraparound services at the community college level that can help you assess your own skill, assess your own interests. The more you can identify what it is you really want, then you can get the training that is needed for just that job. We call them stackable uh, credentials. So let's say I want to Let's say I want to be a CPA, but I don't even know that's what it's called when you get out of high school. But, you know, you had a part-time job recording receipts and you thought, oh, I like numbers. This is pretty good. Well, you start and you get your certificate for general ledger and then you get one for accounts payable and you get one for accounts receivable and then you get one for managerial accounting. And before you know it, you know, you've got an AA degree in accounting But in the meantime, you've been able to get a job as a bookkeeper somewhere, and then you get your business degree, and then you take your CPA, and you you grow into the level that that you want. What's happening now is that people see this, I've got to get this four-year degree. There's $200,000 between them and being able to pay for it. So they have to find more affordable and accessible ways to go about doing it. And so the more you know what you want, the more you can find exactly the training for what it is you want. And I will tell you this, employers will tell you. They're not keeping it a secret. They're not trying to be mysterious about this thing. They're saying, you need this, this, and this. And what is starting to happen is that those requirements are now becoming certificates or associate degrees, and they're less and less that need for a bachelor's degree. You know, I've been in education for a long time and I'll talk about my son again. He went to three years of college, did not graduate. He has been with the Costco company from the time he was a junior in high school. His first job was pulling in the carts from the parking lot. And in Kansas City, it's pretty cold in the winter. And I remember him saying, mom, my goal is by December, I work inside the store. And so I, as I watched him sort of become more and more ingrained in the the Costco culture, of course, as an educator, I was saying, you know, you need to go ahead and finish. You need to take more classes. And he looked at me one day and he goes, mom, it's just not worth it. You know, I've got my career plan laid out. I've talked to the people at work. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And so my advice to him, I realized was very from the cookie cutter mode, that really is not relevant anymore. And I got to tell you, I love education, I love learning. But when it comes to using your education for job preparation, specifically, you need the right training that goes right to what you want. First of all, that's so interesting because I mean, you are at a college, right? And I, I, when we do recruiting, I always tell my clients, like, there's no need for a degree. You don't need a degree. And, and how entitled are we to think that just anybody can go get a degree, right? Because it's so expensive and you are priced out. And what if you can't? And what if you have to work to feed your family, right? There's all kinds of things. So where are these training programs? Like if I can't go to a city college, if I can't go to a college, right? What are some options for me? What are these trainings that you're talking about? Well, most of them are at community colleges. PCC has them, LACCD has Trade Tech, and all of their other colleges as well have them. They used to be more in the high school level, and they're expensive programs because you have to have, if, if you want to talk about auto mechanics, you need an auto bay. And it, it starts getting very expensive when you talk about these training programs, and so They've sort of found a home in community colleges. And there's an organization out there called Skills USA that helps high school students with a competition and gets them excited about their particular trade area. And we actually hosted one of those regional competitions a couple of years ago before COVID. And it's amazing, 3,000 high school students showed up on our campus and they're all doing everything you can imagine. 
And so you find them basically at community college campuses. Some employers will do their own training. And so you'll find them with the employer themselves. And more and more employers and community colleges are partnering for those things. When I was in in Kansas City at Metropolitan Community Colleges, the Harley-Davidson plant was on our campus. At Johnson County Community College, the Burlington Northern Simulator was on our campus. So that's what community colleges are for. Wow. So in our will, when, you know, if Philip and I go down in a car crash, our money goes to our nieces and nephews to either go to college or to some kind of trade school. It's very important to me. I really don't think college is vital. I think you just need to learn something. Uh, uh-huh. So uh-huh. I, I appreciate uh-huh. that because I know you're out of school. So I appreciate that because I agree. I don't think you need a degree unless you're going to become a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. If your profession requires it and that's what you want, Absolutely. In the meantime, find out what it is you want, find out what they require, and get that, yeah. whatever that is. So if I wanted to go into a city college career and I wanted to go into a foundation or because you're a fundraiser. So if you're talking to the next generation of kids, which we've already talked about, I hate so much, but if you're talking to the next generation of kids, why should they go into fundraising? Why should they? One, you are really the thing that makes your organization tick. Um, If you want to be in a job where you feel valued by your organization, the fundraiser is a very valued job within that organization. It is fun. I mean, the way organizations raise money is it runs the gamut of you ask somebody for a big gift or you throw a party and you get them to buy a ticket And that is always fun. It can be exhausting, absolutely. But there's golf tournaments, there's races, there's, so if you're a special events planner and you want to really begin to connect with your passion, find a nonprofit organization that does what you think is important for the world to do and take your special event skills and, and go to a nonprofit organization. You raise money for kids to go to school. Tell me a success story about a student that couldn't have gone to school if not for you and you're raising money. Tell me about a success story that you are very proud of, right? The first one that pops into my head is a a guy named Ryan Liu. He was a, a student at PCC. His family came over from Cambodia and there was absolutely no finances that were there to support his education. So he went to PCC, we found out about him, you know, gave him scholarships. He became involved in the student government at PCC and even spoke at one of our events actually and got accepted to Yale. So he spent his last two years at Yale and then he got accepted to Yale Law School and then spent some of his time in study abroad at Oxford. That is a student that if, if we hadn't, helped Ryan get through the community college system, he would never have been at Yale. And he's a very grateful student and he speaks so eloquently about his story. I I do it no justice at all, but he has a story that everyone needs to hear. And that's, you know, times thousands each year. Those are the stories of our PCC students. I think that in fundraising, you know, you raise money for all kinds of things. It doesn't matter what the nonprofit is, right? You're changing people's lives. That's right. You don't get that at any other job. Fundraising, mm-hmm. you are raising that money to make that different in those people's lives. And I so appreciate you, Bobby. Think about all the kids that you've made an investment in. Think about all the kids who you've changed their lives because of you. So I hope you know how awesome you are. What an impact. It's really interesting. I, because I'm at the executive director level now, a lot of my job is administrative and things like that. And one of the notes that I have on my little bulletin board at work is a student who wrote me a thank you note. Usually we want to make sure that they write the donor. Well, I got a thank you note. And she even said, I know that when a program like this happens, somebody has to be the administrator of the program. And I was like, somebody realized what it is I do in this whole culture. And I 
I've kept that note on my bulletin board for years because it was like, wow, somebody's that old bricklayer story of what are you doing? You know, I'm building a cathedral. And sometimes I'm so far removed from the bricklaying that I don't feel like I'm even building a cathedral. And so when one student recognized that in what I do, I was really impacted by that. Yeah, you're building the pews and the Bibles and all of it. You're doing uh -huh. it all. Mm -hmm. Don't see it, but you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So if if you weren't in college, if you weren't in city college, and you were in nonprofit still, what else would you be doing? What other cause would you be working at? Good question. Well, I'm a kidney donor, so I would probably be in organ transplant. When I learned about that whole process and how people's lives are truly saved by kidney donation or just organ transplant. Donate Life is an organization that I love and I would probably be working in something like that. So this is a very stupid question, but we I know we all have two kidneys. So should we all be giving a kidney? The spiritual principle of it is, you know, when you give a kidney away, the remaining kidney doubles in size to make up for the loss of the one. So you have just as much kidney function, you just don't have it in two kidneys, you have it in one. And it, it's a personal decision for everybody. I had fear and reasons not to do it. And until those reasons were removed, it wasn't even right for me. I've counseled people who have been sort of put upon by their families Uncle Joe needs a kidney and, you know, you need to donate. And I can remember talking to this one young man who was really very fearful about it. And I said, you don't need to say yes or no. You need to deal with the fear. If the fear doesn't go away, this is not for you. If the fear goes away, then you have the opportunity to see if it will work for you. So it's not for everybody, but I will tell you, I'm a big proponent of, of being a donor on your license because once you don't need it anymore, there are people out there that do. So I would say, if you never want to be a living donor, just check the box and just say, you know, I'll be a donor once, once I don't need these anymore. So first of all, that's amazing. Thank you. It's always really amazing to hear people who are living still who give their organs away for people they don't know. So that's amazing that you did that. I have a, I have a friend, her name is Tara, and she just celebrated her one year heart transplant. She got a heart transplant from a a kid who died in a car crash, she was like 20. And she knows that because the mom let her uh -huh. reach out her. And I have to say, not only obviously did it save her life and now she's in a much better place, but I see his spirit, like his youth in her. Like I didn't know him, but when I saw her after she recovered and after her body accepted the heart, she is a different person. She is that young spirit. And it's so cool to see that and to see her so happy. So if all of you listening don't have that donor check on your license, mm -hmm. I hope mm -hmm. that you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this could be your sign to just reconsider. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Bobby, is there anything else that you want people to know about college, about foundations, about Pasadena, or about you know why you hated me so much when we met? I will start with the challenge of if you are going to PCC and you don't feel like you've got enough money to finish, you need to come see me. Our offices are actually one block up the main campus on the second floor of the Child Development Center. So all you have to do is knock on my door and say, I heard you on this podcast and you said, if I don't think I've got enough money to finish, you would help me. And so come see me. And the other thing is, you know, you're a much nicer person, Matt, than I originally experienced you as. And so I will tell you, second impressions do work, at least for you. And, and we met up again. So you moved out here and what you didn't tell people is that you had a gay roommate. And yes, I did. And your gay roommate. Mm -hmm. uh, you to a, a club in the valley here in LA and I was there the same night and we danced together and that was it yes we did and I did not know you were gay until you showed up that night no in the world no, could you I don't know but there was Matt I was like oh my gosh Matt are you like me you just love line dancing and you were like no I'm gay yeah. I was like well I did not know that so it takes here's here's the moral of the story Bobby it takes a gay roommate 
to bring everybody together. Everybody needs a gay roommate. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree completely. <laughs> uh, all right, my friend, where can people find your website? Go to pasadena.edu slash foundation. And there I am. You'll see my face. Well, I adore everything that you do. And you and I need to actually go meet in person and have booze in person. Yes. I will come find you. Cheers to you, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Loved it. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So what'd you think of my friend, Bobby Abram? Your friend and mine, she is incredible. And she makes a pretty compelling case for both community college and organ donation. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting that she just gave a kidney to not even a family member. And she was like, yeah, okay, I'm just going to do it. Like that was, that's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy, pretty indicative of the type of person that she is. Someone who's already devoted her life to nonprofit, to community college, and then just, you know, also gives an organ. So Ashley, I have a question for you. Are you a good person? I mean, I try to be. Am I the type of person who would give an organ to a stranger? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm that level of good person, but I, I try to be a good person. What about you? I am definitely not a good person. There's no way I'm giving a, a kidney to somebody <laughs> I don't know. Even to somebody I know, I don't like being cut open. It takes a certain kind of selflessness. But I also like how Bobby told us, hey, like I didn't realize if you give a kidney, your other kidney like grows twice the size and does all the work and is fine. So that's kind of encouraging. Yeah, but, but I feel like we have two kidneys for a reason. Like, I feel like you have that second kidney to take care of that first kidney. And so if that first kidney fails, you've got the second kidney. So if you give away your second kidney and that first kidney needs its friend, what happens? <laughs> I don't know. I think for sure, Matt, you shouldn't be giving away like any portion of your liver because <laughs> you definitely need all of that. And maybe you should be getting a second liver just to help out the first liver, you know? I'm going to tell you something else about Italy. I don't know if our listeners have enjoyed limoncello, but I will tell you that there's something called a limoncello spritz, which is glorious. Is a limoncello spritz kind of what it sounds like? Like it's, it's soda water and limoncello and make sort of a bubbly limoncello? It is limoncello prosecco wow. and soda. Like I said, it is glorious. And I think that for our next podcast, when I'm interviewing somebody, I'm going to drink a limoncello spritz. I think you ought to. I think I'd like to join you in that because that sounds amazing. And while we're on the subject, this is a controversial topic. And I'm so curious to know what our listeners think. Listener, we can just call her by name now, right, Genevieve? Genevieve, uh -huh. um, where do you stand on limoncello flavored LaCroix or LaCroix mm. and where you come in that camp as well. Because I personally love it, but I know a lot of people that hate it because it has sort of like a sweet, almost like a cupcake kind of a note to it. And some people are like, but then there's no sweetness in the drink and it really throws them. They don't like it. But I find it very refreshing. Have you had the limoncello LaCroix, LaCroix, Matt? Do you know what is more refreshing than a limoncello LaCroix, Ashley? Uh -huh actual limoncello yes the actual thing in positano <laughs> i was just trying to take it back to a place where we could all weigh in matt since we can't all be in positano i'm flipping the script matt do you have any last words that you want to leave our listeners before you say arrivederci is there anything i need to share from positano before we let our listeners go. So uh, here's what I'm going to leave you with, Ashley. You know, and I think everybody does know who listens, Genevieve, who listens to the show knows <laughs> I don't exercise, right? We've talked about this. I don't exercise. I don't like it. I don't do it. And in the Amalfi Coast, the only way that you can get around is climbing those damn steps. And I... I have exercised an enormous amount over the last week. I don't like it and I'm not doing it again. And that's all I want to say that I have exercised and I will not do it again. And as my nephews say, 
sweaty balls are no fun. <laughs> well, I wish I could tell you that it's going to be better when you get back to LA, but I think we're in for some heat. All right, my friend, well, enjoy the rest of your trip. And if you won't say it to me, I'll say it to you. Arrivederci. Arrivederci. And for those of you who are listening to us next week, who do we have, Ashley? So we have Aaron Huber from Drink Local, Drink Tap. So it's going to be all things water related. And she's a founder, which makes her even crazier. Totally. Well, we love our founders. So stay tuned for the next episode, everyone. Matt, enjoy the rest of your vacation. 